Welcome to the Open House Podcast with James Tatum. This podcast is about conversations that we have in the gym. Everything from training methods, technique, massage, and other odd topics that come up. So be sure to subscribe, leave a review, any of that stuff. It helps us out a lot. All right. What's up, George? Hey, how's it going? Good morning. Yeah, pretty good, man. You know, we uh, we came in here and... Uh, you uh, you roll up with your coffee cup, and uh, you know usually like coffee cups that you get at the at the store they've got the little tiny opening, and uh, yours is uh, yours is not a tiny opening. That's like a solid opening. It's just like we want you to drink this coffee fast. Yeah, that's one of my favorite things about Dunkin' is the price. So you can get a pretty good priced coffee for a large amount, and the lid on it's. I say the the drink hole is probably about double in size, so it makes it a lot easier to drink too. You don't have to worry about trying to get a straw or something to get it all the way out. Yeah, I'm I'm not a fan of drinking coffee with straws. Um, the uh, I mean, right now I've just been doing a lot of French press, and you know I don't really like Starbucks. And uh, you know I got turned off on Dunkin'. Uh, the first time I had Dunkin' Donuts, my uh, my aunt went in and got it for me, and it was uh... so I like my coffee black or black with just cream. And she came back and she had a lot of cream in it and a lot of sugar. Like I couldn't even drink it; it was so sweet. It was like um... it was like sweeter than a than a soda, but it was coffee. Yeah, Duncan likes to do that. You have to tell him light cream or light sugar. But I really like cold brew, so you never really have that issue with cold brew, just simply because cold brews normally drink like black coffee. I'll do like cold brew with like the um, sweet cream foam on top just to give it a little bit of flavor to take away some of the bitterness because sometimes if they let us sit in the beans for too long, they get a little sour on you. So I think they said like the sweet spot's probably like 12 hours of letting it soak in the coffee beans. Yeah, 12 hours. Yeah, I don't know if I have patience. I use the French press, and it takes about 10 minutes. And uh, even when I do that, I think, ah, i got to wait 10 minutes. i got to wait till this water heats up. You know, I thought about getting another coffee machine, but I don't know. We'll, we'll see. Have you ever tried one of those, like, old-school coffee makers that you put on the stove? Um, I'm not sure what, they, what the actual name is, but... Percolator. Yeah, there we go. I think that's what they're called. Yeah, so uh, growing up on a boat, that's what my parents used to drink. And uh, I never drank coffee with them when I was a kid, of course. But they, because uh, on the boat, you just have the stove. You don't really have electricity um, or electricity is very reserved because everything's on battery and like wind generators and stuff. Uh, so we didn't have like your traditional coffee maker, but they had the percolator. And uh, I don't know if it was just my parents, but they would uh, they would burn it every time. And so I would kind of, in my mind, I associate a percolator with burnt coffee. And even when I was a kid, I knew that that didn't smell really good. Uh, So I think I just need to, like, get a percolator and use it correctly to give it it an honest shot. Because right now, uh, it's not high up on my list of coffee uh, choices. Yeah, I like to just get, like, an espresso blend and then throw it in there and 
basically you drink it like espresso and just add a little bit of milk in there maybe and it's pretty good yeah yeah i think uh i can't i can't go with espresso because i just like drinking coffee all day and if i had espresso it i, I couldn't drink it all day that'd be it would be too much i think if i was just like a one thing in the morning and like one and done maybe maybe some espresso but yeah all that caffeine a smaller concentration it'll get you going yeah and i just enjoy drinking coffee you know just uh having something to sip on while you're uh you know doing something while you're working you know keep you alert give you something to do the um but maybe i'll try some cold brew out at duncan so is that one is that one sweet or is that one uh is that one pretty good uh, this one's pretty good, actually. I think they let us say just long enough for it to get a good flavor without getting too sour. And then just if you get like the l- sweet cold foam on top just to help too, because sometimes you never know if it's going to be too bitter or not. So that little bit of sweetness tends to help take away the sourness or bitterness. And then it also doesn't add that many calories. Like that whole drink's probably like 90 calories too. So because I try to stay away from a lot of cream sometimes because that's where you start adding a lot of calories to the coffee and it starts to really take away the taste too. Mm, yeah calories that's what i like about cream um so we're on opposite sides there <laughs> so uh yeah maybe i'll try it in the summer because it's too cold for me right now um i can't be drinking iced coffee or cold coffee in the middle of the uh, middle of winter it's too much yeah man so uh some other things going on in weightlifting um so we were talking about this. Uh, we were talking about uh, you know things that a beginner should focus on, and uh, I think this is a cool topic to talk about today because uh, you know on one thing I uh, something that I just started doing again is I started doing jujitsu, and when I'm going into jujitsu, I'm a beginner, and it's kind of an interesting change of roles for me to go from you know the the coach and kind of somebody that knows a lot about weightlifting and then I'm coming in and doing jujitsu and I'm kind of the beginner, you know, I'm at the basics. Nobody's looking to me for, uh, for anything. And I'm trying to like, I'm changing my complete perspective and I am looking to other people for, you know, the information on, you know, you know, how to do everything. So it's a, it's an interesting change of, um, perspective. And that kind of brought us to the idea of, uh, you know, uh, things that a uh, beginner should focus on. You, what, uh, what are your thoughts on, on that? Well, speaking about, like, information and drawing to, like, a coach or someone who's well knowledge has a lot of knowledge about the topic, there's a saying that I heard. Um, I forgot who said it, but it's about stealing Wi-Fi. So, essentially, you want to steal someone else's Wi-Fi if they know, know more than you. So, just kind of show up and absorb everything they're saying and just be patient and open-minded that's that's a huge one for me so i like to think of that reference of just stealing someone else's wi-fi as in just digesting what they're really saying and just trying to learn as much as possible yeah yeah that's interesting um it's stealing somebody's wi-fi and it's not a bad thing um yeah how the uh how the quotes have changed um so you were saying that as i was looking up a quote that i got too that kind of brought me to this topic as well uh, by James Clear, he's got a little uh, he's got a little email newsletter, and it's uh, he advertises this newsletter as like the most you know quality per word newsletter out there. Because sometimes you just get newsletters and you're just reading this crap, 
and it's just like, why am I even getting this? Unsubscribe. But uh, his kind of just gets right to the point. Um, and this is one of the quotes that he sent in that uh, newsletter. He says, uh, the longer you are a teacher, the less you remember what it's like to be a student. The longer you're a doctor, the less you remember what it's like to be a patient. The longer you are a coach, the less you remember what it's like to be a player. Change positions, a new perspective can improve your old methods. So, you know, that one that one kind of hit me too because I had just started something new. I just changed my perspective to be a, uh, a student again. And, uh, you know, I think that'll probably influence uh influence my coaching so it's kind of a kind of interesting thing we'll kind of see how it goes and um so now we're going to get into uh some things that a beginner should focus on you know so this uh this beginner is stealing somebody's wi-fi um what should they be paying attention to uh, what stuff should they be stealing and focusing on what do you think um position so you want to start a position in my, that's like the number one thing. So when you're looking around the gym or you're looking at the athlete that's been there a while, or even the coach, you just want to really focus on where the bar placement is and taking your time and just filling those positions. Cause I remember being a beginner myself and I would like to go really fast and I would kind of skip some of the positions and I wouldn't get myself in the right positions. So I really think that position is the main, like the main focus for a beginner or something that they should look for the most. Yeah, that really is uh, priority number one is position. You know, it's uh, in, in technique and everything. It's just, you know, in, uh, in weightlifting is the is a game of inches. I mean, if if you're if you're off by one inch, you know, the off on the position at the hip, it's going to be more than, you know, one inch harder at the top it's going to be significantly different uh significantly harder at the top so uh you know if you get the position right it can uh, it can make or break the technique or the lift and especially you know you know some people some people get away with it and they have more room for error but if you're a beginner you don't really know if you're that person if you have more room for error in your position so you know, the best thing that you can do, even somebody that has room for error should really focus on position and get things, uh, get things dialed in there. Uh, that's kind of like one of those major things, even in like, uh, in Greg Everett's book, um, the complete Olympic weightlifting manual. I don't, I don't remember what it was called, but it's a pretty comprehensive weightlifting book that's out there that he wrote. Uh, that's priority. Number one is position. And then after position is movement and then tempo, and then uh, and then weight, and then you add weight. So you know, don't skip those. Uh, don't skip the position step. You know, focus on that. Spend your time there. And there's another. Uh, there's another coach that was uh, was pretty popular a couple of years ago. A guy named John Burroughs. and he would uh, he would have people start off with a broomstick. Um, and I usually don't go full on broomstick. I usually like to have somebody with a little bit of weight in their hands just so they can feel it a little bit, but he would start off with the broomstick and, uh, and he would say, we're going to do a broomstick for two, uh, for two weeks before you can earn the right to use a bar. And he would focus on position. Now, some of his athletes were pretty good. Uh, they weren't, uh, I wouldn't say the best technicians, but they, uh, they hit a lot of big weights, um, so, you know, their position was good enough to hit some big weights, so that worked. But uh, 
that's something that I kind of took from him too is, all right, let's spend two weeks of just really working on position. You know, spend the time on the bar. You know, you can go heavier on squats and pulls and stuff and, uh, and presses, but if you're doing like snatch, you know, just take your time. You know, uh, work with the bar, feel that position because you need to learn how to do the movement with just the bar. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, I like that too, especially for a beginner. You know, kind of push the strength movements. And then keep the um, technical movements nice and light so you can focus on the position. And then while you're focusing on those positions, try to focus on one thing at a time. It's really easy to get wrapped up on trying to fix everything at once. And some of the lifts, especially like the snatch, it gets pretty technical. And if you start focusing on multiple things at once, you're going to get overwhelmed and it's going to be a little bit discouraging. So if you can Mm -hmm. really just take your time and focus on one thing at a time, and then you'll build that... um, you'll build confidence because you'll actually see the improvements as you start to just shift your focus from one, from one subject to another. So that's a huge one to focus in on one thing at a time. Yeah. So that one almost kind of brings me to, you know, another point in what a beginner should focus on, um, is to have a coach to help guide you and to know what to focus on. Cause if you're in there by yourself and you're just like, if it's so foreign and you just don't know what's going wrong and then it just gets frustrating, um, just having somebody there to like say, Hey, don't worry about this. Your body's just kind of naturally moving, right? Let's focus on this. And they'll kind of be able to dial in and just steer you on the right direction so that you can, um, know which area to focus on and then which areas just to forget about for now. And, you know, you can refine some areas later, but like you're saying, you can really only focus on one or, maybe two things at a time other than that you're just uh you're either drilling bad habits or you're just getting so overwhelmed that you're not doing anything right yeah i think that was one of my big issues too when i first started because it's easy to hop on youtube or instagram or facebook and just watch other lifters lift or listen to other coaches and it's good to find that one coach because certain coaches or i would say each coach has different I wouldn't say completely different methods, but they teach it just a little bit differently. So if you start getting too much of an influence from too many sources, you're going to be really confused. Yeah, for sure. And some people feel very strongly about uh, the very minute differences in the way that they teach the technique, which is entertaining. Um, so I think there was a, it was my, uh, my old coach, Glenn Pendley. He, he was friends with Don McCauley and Sean Waxman, and uh, Don Don was very uh, opinionated about his techniques online. So then he would talk on these forums, and he'd come across very strong. And then Sean was the exact same way, but about a different, you know, about his way of interpreting the lifts. And I will say that Sean uh, Sean Waxman was a, uh, I think he's got his degree in biomechanics, so his is like the way he would describe thi- describe things was very biomechanically correct. And Don was more of like, this is what you need to think about in order to have a good lift. And so, um, so what Glenn did is he did this little experiment is, and he took a, uh, he took a lift a video and he sent it to, uh, sent it to both of them without telling them, you know, like what was going on. And he said, Hey, tell me what you like about this and what you don't like about this. And, uh, you know, he sent them both, and it was both, this, you know, the same lift, and it was a good lift. And they were like, oh, yeah, we like this lift because of this, this, and this. 
And, uh, and so then Glenn got their feedback and then got them together and was just like, hey, look, you guys both said that you liked this lift for this, this, and this. So, like, you guys are more on the same page than you think. Um, but just the way they would describe things, I don't know. I think they might have just been, uh, their personalities may have just clashed. And they, uh, they kind of got at each, at each other's throats. And it made this kind of, like, online presence thinking that there was this big divide in weightlifting techniques and styles. And when really, if they both looked at the same lift, they would come up with pretty much the same conclusions, just said in a different way. So there's a lot of there's a lot of confusion that can come when you're, you know, watching things online, when you're seeing these controversies, when you're seeing, uh, you know, when you're seeing the clickbait. So it's uh it is important to take it with a grain of salt. Yeah, I can see that for sure because it's all about how you interpret it at the end of the day. So one of them would interpret the lift differently just because of probably how their background in lifting started. So how their coaches taught them to interpret lifts. But at the same time, it was probably the same thing at the end of the day. I don't know. Maybe they're just, can you, I don't know. I think I lost what I was trying to say. Yep. I lost it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That happens. Uh, yeah. It, uh, if I could describe it, I would say Don was more of an artistic representation of technique and Sean was a, uh, very specific and realistic, description of technique um and that i don't know that might be the best way i can do it that would be like the difference between like an engineer describing a bridge and an artist you know they both have value but they're obviously different um and then it does kind of come back into that you know weightlifting is a uh, you know the, a mixture of uh, the art and science of uh, of coaching and doing weightlifting so you know maybe you do need a little bit of both and i think maybe they were just uh you know, on each end of the spectrum, and then they just clashed a little bit, which is, uh, which was entertaining. It makes for fun internet arguments, but uh, if you were a beginner, it's easy to get lost up in that mix of, you know, back and forth and what's right, and it's hard to, uh, it's hard to know. Um, and really, that's where, you know, having a coach and just having someone be able to put it in simple terms so that you can think about one thing at a time. You know, maybe if you're more, um, what is it? Is it left brain is artistic and and right brain? Yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm gonna have to look <laughs> that up. Maybe if you're like, uh, if you're like left brain, let's say that that's artistic, and um, you need things explained in more of like a, you know, like a feeling type of way. You know, Don would might have been like the coach for you, um, but if you were like very analytical. Um, you might do well with having Sean say, this is exactly what happens technically in the lift. Do it. And then you're like, oh, that makes sense. My engineering brain is, you know, picking that up right away and I can make my body do that. So in the end of the day, that's what you got to look look at is, you know, are you, um, all right, right brain is creative. Left brain is analytical. Okay. Um, so I got him backwards. Uh, you just got to figure out what. Uh, yeah, go back to the number one rule. Are you getting better? Yes or no? All right. Yes, I'm getting better. All right. It's working. No, I'm getting worse or staying the same. Um, and give yourself like a three month time limit at least to kind of see where you're at in this uh, 
in this analysis and then uh and then go from there yeah i agree with that another thing to think about too when you're a beginner is um mobility so when i was a beginner i neglected mobility i didn't like to stretch i thought it was boring and um so i would just try to come in and do lifts all the time but if you don't have enough flexibility to get into the right positions it's really going to make it hard to learn the right positions um i would say that you could also get a majority of your mobility probably through the exercises themselves too so being consistent with following the correct positions and holding those positions will definitely help open them up as well yeah for sure um i mean that's why weightlifters are one of the uh, most flexible out of all of the olympic athletes is because uh I'm pretty sure it's because of that snatch catch position. I mean, you got to be flexible to be able to go down into a full squat with your hands over your head with a bunch of weight on there, and you have to be strong through that full range of motion. Um, but yeah, so getting there's a couple things with stretching. So you have to be able to get into the right position, and you know some people it will be easier for them to get in the position because they have the right proportions, um, and and they still might be tight. Um, but then there are people who uh, are maybe they're they're fighting against their proportions a little bit, so they have to work on their flexibility a little bit more. Um, so there are those type of people, and then there's also the act of stretching, and like the act of relaxing the muscles, and so how that um, affects your recovery and affects uh, you know your ability to let the muscles relax and recover after a training session just from doing static stretching so it's like a it's like a twofold thing that you know you might think oh i've got position i don't have any problem getting into the snatch position um i don't need to stretch but then you're missing out on those muscles relaxing and letting go so you know if your muscles just stay tense after a training session and they're just tense 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 then they never have this chance to relax you know you think they're going to be recovered as much as somebody that's just getting that full benefit of um you know their recovery time which is you know they say you train for two hours a day the other 22 hours if you're tense the whole time you're not going to be recovering but if you just go and you stretch and you just start it off well and those muscles relax back down uh, then you're going to have a lot better a lot better recovery yeah how long do you think is a for static stretching should you hold a static stretch i've read somewhere that any, anything like 30 seconds is equivalent to a minute essentially like once you get to 30 seconds it doesn't really increase any like it doesn't really loosen it up any more than that would you what would you say about that or yeah i think that's what the research says um that 30 seconds is like where you get most of it more than a minute is when you're just you know uh you're beating a dead horse and you might actually be doing some harm i think uh if you do the stretch too long you run into some cutoff blood supply and then you've got some uh, i believe it's called hypoxia and then you just get a little bit of a a little bit more uh it's just counterproductive just a little bit i don't think it's huge but just enough that it's like uh, you know restricting blood flow to that muscle enough that you're uh, uh causing a little bit of damage and which is you know if you're going to do less for better results, you might as well do less. So, you know, why not? And, uh, it, I mean, it's hard enough for me to get somebody to stretch for 15 seconds. So I don't think I need to like persuade people not to stretch for more than a minute. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, 
I think there's still like a lot of research too saying like 15 seconds does a lot as well. Uh, and it, uh, it's really not that, you know, not that long, but I think a good general recommendation would be 30 seconds. Yeah. I also like to pair mine with like a, um, lacrosse ball or like a foam roller or something, just kind of try to increase blood flow to the area and then stretch that muscle. Um, would you, what would you recommend? Yeah. So with a lacrosse ball and like a, a foam roller, um, Maybe a foam roller, you might be able to get some like circulation back out of the legs, like uh, like if you got a lot of fluid buildup in the bottom. Uh, but I don't know if it would really increase the uh, the blood flow. Well, maybe. So there are uh, there's something called uh, like they say in your back. It's called your your lumbar aponeurosis which is just like a bunch of fascia all thick right there your glutes attached to it your lats attached to it and uh if you ever get a really big back pump you'll feel like your back is burning and about to explode and it's a little bit different and uh and then if you actually kind of do some foam rolling or actually some uh what i actually like the best is if you're doing like a cat camel and then someone comes up and kind of puts their thumbs right on each side of your spine as you're doing this cat camel to kind of open up and release that, uh, that fascia right there. Um, and just to get the blood flow in there that, uh, that helps get the blood, you know, the pump out a little bit quicker. So to kind of relieve some pain, but, um, that might help a little bit with circulation with the foam roller, but really what a foam roller is doing is it's just pressing on a muscle and it's just telling your brain to relax that muscle. Um, which again is you know a helpful thing because when you're relaxed you can recover better and you're not just pulling constant tension on joints or anything like that um but as far as uh you know circulation things like uh, like the normatec boots would be like the big circulation thing or you know in- inversion tables um but i i do like using the foam roller as like a prop for stretching so kind of like how like i guess yoga they have blocks i like using a foam roller to like put along the spine to to kind of stretch out the shoulders or you could put it uh you know that's if you put it um, parallel to the spine and then you're just laying with your arms out to the side i use that one a lot and then also if you go perpendicular to the spine and you just kind of lean back and flex your abs you're just kind of getting some thoracic extension I like that one a lot. So I like it more as a prop. And it it does a little bit with like pain relief when you're just kind of like going over the quads or getting some trigger points with it. So there uh, there's some value there. Um, then uh, I, I don't even remember where we're going there. But oh yeah, so we were talking about beginners and things that you should focus on. Uh, and we kind of got real specific with with that. But it goes back to stretching, you know, even if you have good position, you know, stretching and foam rolling to let those muscles relax uh, will have a lot of good long-term effects. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Um, another thing for a beginner, what, what would you say other than position and mobility, what would be your third thing to check off as a beginner? Uh, so position and mobility... Then the third thing is uh, training partners, you know, having somebody to train with. Uh, 
Yeah, I, w- I would probably say training partners. So sometimes, if, especially if there's somebody that's good or has good technique, and you're just in the same room as them, you're hearing the tempo of the lift. You're seeing it, and you're just kind of subconsciously picking up on those things. And that the more that you subconsciously pick up, the less that you have to think about. You know, if your body just sees it all the time, it's just like a kid. If a kid sees what you're doing, you know, they just start doing it, and they're not thinking about, like, you know, let's say, I don't I don't know if this would be exact. Let's just say, uh, you know, walking, like a kid, like a baby sees you walking. You know, they're not thinking left foot, right foot. You know, they're, they're not thinking about their gait and their biomechanical analysis of their walking. They just see somebody do it, and they're like, oh, let's try that. And they stand up, and they find their balance. And then uh, just by seeing something, you'll start picking up on it. And then you see, like, just things that kids are exposed to early and that they see a lot of, they tend to be good at it, and it tends to be just easy for them. So it's the same thing for adults. You know, if you're just around good weightlifters, your brain's going to pick up on that, and you're not going to have to think about some of these things. Like, you're not going to have to, like, if you're next to an aggressive lifter and they're fast and explosive, you know, you'll learn from an early stage in your weightlifting that that's the tempo. And because uh, I see it sometimes if you're like, especially like uh, if you do like a one on one session with somebody and you're teaching them weightlifting one on one, it's hard to portray speed to somebody new in weightlifting because it just doesn't make sense. You know, they're thinking about position. And when you're thinking about position, you got to be slow. And yes, position is the most important but you still have to know and kind of understand that there's that speed aspect. Weightlifting is a speed sport. And um, the really the only way that you can really get an idea for that is just to watch a fast lifter. And, um, you know, I see some people, um, like, they go and they're like, they had, it's like their first time seeing a fast lifter, and they're just like, whoa. Like, there's a big difference seeing that in person than seeing it like on a video uh we used to get this a lot at like seminars so we used to go to um we used to go to crossfit gyms and this was back when uh we would go and help glenn with his seminars glenn pendley and he would go to these crossfit gyms and it was just like back then people were just watching videos or had like crossfit level one um technique worth of weightlifting so pretty much nothing at all and they would try to learn the weightlifting, and then they would come to the seminar, and they would learn from Glenn. And Glenn would always have us um, demonstrate. So he would go over the positions and like, all right, this is power position. This is knee. This is, you know, from the floor. This is the overhead squat. And then kind of put it all together. And then before he would let them go above the bar, um, he would stop them. And then he would kind of have a lecture. And during that lecture, whoever he brought as his assistant, um, so like if it was me, he would have us be snatching and doing a, a snatch max out. And then he would say, all right, so you see this. You know, he'd be talking about just different random things with the people and, you know, having it open up for questions. And then I would be going up for my lift and then he'd say, all right, watch this and look and see if you can see those positions. And then I would do a snatch. And then that was always the biggest thing that people would be surprised at. It's like, that's fast. You know, well, one thing, CrossFitters can't be too fast because they do so much endurance. 
Um, so they got that kind of working against them. But when you're a specialized weightlifter and you're only doing weightlifting, you can really develop your speed. Uh, and so they would see that and that would be like, it would click for them like, oh, that's the difference. You know, like, yeah, I want to have this position and stuff. But that speed is like a big component. How important would you say that plyometrics would be for helping someone learn how to create speed or force production? Would you say it ties over a lot for a beginner or? Yeah. So, uh, so this goes back to, um, back to, uh, actually the jujitsu thing. Um, so plyometrics, I've never used plyometrics a lot in my coaching, um, So we can we can go pretty deep into this uh, this concept. Uh, so I I had some shoulder injuries. Uh, I had nerve damage in my left shoulder in 2017, and I did all of the like the GPP stuff, the rotator cuff exercises with dumbbells and stuff, and it always uh, you know it always kind of just nagged. Uh, and so now I'm like two weeks into jujitsu, and the you know, I'm not like, I'm not going, uh, not going crazy, but it's hitting the muscles in a completely different way than normal. And so my shoulder got really like muscularly sore and then it's starting to recover and get better. And my shoulder actually feels really good because it's like activating a lot of, um, new, you know, kind of muscle fibers and it's, uh, you know, it's in a, you're rolling. So it's, it's kind of more high stress than something like a dumbbell external rotation, you know, exercise for the rotator cuff. So all of these things are just, uh, you're getting more of a muscle. Uh, oh, why am I drawing a blank? You know, the muscles being activated a little bit more aggressive, aggressively. And so you're getting a better training effect. And, uh, and I feel like that has provided a lot more shoulder stability than all of my shoulder stuff. And, uh, cause I've got the strength and I just needed a little bit of different of that activity. So sometimes, you know, plyometrics and, um, uh, and GPP is, uh, is, you know, it, it's like, it's almost too controlled to do plyometrics in training and maybe we're just not doing it hard enough in training. Um, but I think plyometrics is really good just to get through doing another sport um, you know, recreationally. So like, uh, I never did plyometrics in my training, but I also, I skateboarded for like eight years and before I even started working out, you know, so when I was a kid all the way up until, um, I kind of stopped when, uh, I kind of, they kind of bled over a little bit as I started working out when I was in, uh, you know, however old, like 13 or something. But, you know, we would, you know, we would try to do like ollies over stairs um, and then you would land and then you would fall. And then, you know, what you would do is you'd be like, oh, I need to land that. So then you would do it again and again and you just go nonstop and you keep falling, you keep landing until finally you land it. And then probably you get so much volume of plyometrics that according to the textbook, you know, you're only supposed to do 12 reps of that high intensity jump. And we probably just tried to clear that gap like. 40 times before we actually landed it and then it's like oh now we need to try a different trick (laughs) and so it's just like yeah that goes against the recommendations of plyometrics um 
just because of the nature of the sport. And it's so much easier to do 80 plyometric jumps when you're skateboarding because it's uh, it's mentally um, intriguing. You know, it's... it's uh, Getting a good adrenaline rush. Yeah, you're getting an adrenaline rush. You're getting more... And when that happens, you're getting more uh, neural activity, more uh, more activation. Um, so I don't know. I, I think that plyometrics is better to get in like another sport. I'm not saying that people should go skateboarding because especially if you're not good at skateboarding, the risk for injury is pretty high, but uh, um, pretty low risk plyometric sport would be like volleyball, you know, or, um, you know, what else, what else is, uh, what are some other sports that are kind of plyometric in nature? Uh, probably like track and field. Yeah pole vaulters and long jumpers and hurdle hurdle jumper or are they sprinters or jump i don't know people do hurdles (laughs) yeah so even like even there okay let's let's go down that route even if you don't want to do like pole vaulting and doing a you know the specifics of learning that skill if you went and did like a track warm-up like a track and field warm-up where they do like butt kickers and high knees and all that stuff and then they do some running you know for a weightlifter, that might be uh, that might be enough of a stimulus to start getting like uh, low-level plyometrics, rather than doing like dot drills, you know, or um, you know, six-inch box jumps. You know, just go do some, uh, go do a track. Uh, it doesn't even have to be a full-on 100% sprints and stuff. Um, so I do like, I do like that. Um, one of the things that uh, Brett uh, Contreras mentioned in I, I don't know if it was the podcast or the book but he was like i think it was the book and he was talking about not wanting people oh uh, this is what it was so he's all about getting people big butt um so you got these uh these people with big butts and they're 100 meter spinners and uh and he was kind of like yeah they've got big butts like is that because of their sprinting or because of their genetics because genetics play a big role in it and uh pretty much his advice was n- don't start going out there, like for the general public, don't start going out there and doing 100-meter sprints and doing that training if your goal is to get a big butt just because the risk of injury is too high. Um, if you want a more glute development, you should do this because it's lower risk. Um, so he actually kind of steered people away from, you know, the sporting side. But then again, that's that's priorities. If, if you're just looking for hypertrophy of the glute muscles, I could see that advice taking some good... Uh, good note um but if you're looking for just general athleticism i think that track would probably be a good you know thing to do you know just got to make sure your hamstrings are prepared and you're not going to pull a hamstring and it's not going to get so intense that you're going to uh interfere with your weightlifting progress because um yeah that's it that's a good point about weightlifting weightlifting is one of the lower injury sports out of all olympic sports and that includes track and field you know it's a lot more likely that you would get injured doing uh you know track and field then you are going to be weightlifting so you know keep that in mind as you go out there and you do other sports but if you're doing things recreationally you can get a lot of good stimulus and um you know a lot of good plyometrics in their training all right so we got we got position mobility and training environment so good training partners too that's what we got so far I think another good thing to think about too as a beginner is your mindset. So some days are going to be tougher than others and the weight's going to feel a little heavier than other days. 
But the main thing is to be consistent and show up and still get the movement in and not to get frustrated because some movement is better than no movement, even on those days. So be patient with yourself and just allow it to develop. Let your body learn what it needs to do and it will come before you know it. Yeah, that's a uh, that's a good point. Um, that makes me think about uh, a good example there was Travis Cooper. Uh, he was... After the 16 Olympics, he kind of took it slow, and I think he was getting in uh He might have been getting his master's in computer science and, you know, really developing his career uh, in computer science. And so he kind of took put weightlifting on the back seat, and he said there would be days that he would just go and he would snatch like 70 kilos. And this is from a person whose best snatch is 155. So that's like, um, you know, 40-something percent. Uh, and he just went in there and he did it. And uh, and he would just do a little bit, even if it wasn't much, just to kind of keep things moving, doing some weight. And then uh, and then 2021 comes around and he makes a world team. Um, you know, so it's uh, that consistency paid off. And even though it was just a little bit, you know, he was able to kind of keep fresh and keep that habit so that uh, when he had the opportunity to train some more, he was ready to push the intensity his body was ready because he had kept it at a general you know the general level of fitness and just coming in and doing it and that's kind of like the extreme situation you know most people aren't even going to get into that extreme of a situation sometimes it literally means going five percent lighter you know you might get frustrated and you're just like oh we're supposed to do 80 percent today and this feels miserably heavy if you get all of the same reps in but at 75% and the technique is great and you feel better about the lifts, then 75% is what it is today, you know? Yeah, that's a good point. Um, the program is more of like a guideline. <clears throat> I would say, you know, if it's feeling super heavy, it's probably smarter to go a little bit lighter that day. Or if it's feeling really good, you could possibly go heavier that day and get a lot of progression just of you could possibly even PR. So sometimes it's good to use the program as a guideline, not a set in stone thing. Um, there was a famous saying I heard. It was, "Do your programming in pencil, not in pen. That way, you can adjust as the as you need to, or as it feels that day." Yeah, that's good advice. It's, I uh, I would agree with that, um, and that kind of goes along with my coaching style as well. So, like, uh, one of the things that I do is I give people a, uh, you know, once a week they can have a green light to go heavy, you know. Uh, I'm not so proud of my programming to think that it's so perfect that I'm going to make you peak at one specific day and that's going to be the day. You know, there's just too many factors. You know, sometimes it's going to be a Tuesday and, uh, you know, you're just ready to go that day and it's just like, nope, today's the day. And, you know, um, if you're going to PR and that's going to be your, uh, like, motivating factor, you know, you don't go for it. Yeah, you know. Um, I started to see a lot of progress from my athletes after I had that conversation with you and you told me about that because I was really set in stone of like trying to stick to percentages and just trying to be like okay we're going to peak at this time and this is when it's going to happen it's going to everything's going to be perfect but once I actually started to give athletes a green light and just kind of letting them to adjust off their fill I started to see a lot more progress so that was huge yeah and that's a that opens up the opportunity for you to observe that individual athlete more as well because then you might realize like hey this person is ready to you know hit a heavy snatch pr you know mid volume or 
you know, be like, oh, this person needs only one week of taper instead of two weeks because after two weeks they get out of shape and they're doing bad. You know, it might be at the end of a deload week that you see that they do well, but then the end of a two-week taper, they suck. And, you know, if, if they have the green light to go when they're feeling good, then you can get a better idea of, like, where in the program they tend to start feeling good. And um, then you can make them peak better on the important days. When you don't have that, when you need it to be on, you know, Saturday at 9 a.m. at the competition, because you, uh, you can't give them a green light any time during that week, you know, unless it's one of those, like, film it type things that they do with the online qualifiers. But, you know, if you're going to... Uh, if you're going to a competition or a local competition, it needs to be on, you need to feel good on that one day. Um, yeah, I like that one a lot. Um, it's a, the one caveat is that you need to uh, uh, limit it uh, no more than once a week. Um, you know, some people might limit it more than that, um, but uh, you're going to have to kind of individualize that um, based on your athlete and their mentality and all that stuff. Uh, but that's my general rule is no more than once a week. They have the opportunity to go a little bit heavier. Yeah, and if you're an athlete listening, make sure you um, talk to your coach about it first before you just start going crazy in the gym and trying to hit those PRs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's generally a good rule, you know, talk to your coach. Um, you know, I think I think it is uh, uh, like Max Max Ada. I think I've heard some things about his, uh, his coach, and I've never worked with him personally. But uh, he was one of those guys that is uh, making uh, the artificial intelligence uh, weightlifting program. Uh, so, like, everything is very much tracked. Like, 40%, like, this many reps, the volume and the intensity is very much tracked because that's the, uh, those are the variables that the, uh, the AI takes into account to make that, like, artificial intelligence type software or uh, type program. I don't... I don't really know exactly how that works, but um, his coaching style matches up well, like, or his programming style matches up well to work for like artificial intelligence too. So, like, I've heard like some of his athletes like that he's so specific, and he's just like, "Hey," and I think it was Alyssa Ritchie talking about it that she said that uh, like she might have a day where she's hitting like forty kilo snatches, and it was said to do like four reps. And then, you know, her fourth rep was odd. So she was like, ah, I'm going to do another one just to get the thing. Um, she would have to write that down in there. And he, I don't think he was like telling her not to do stuff, but he was tracking things so specifically that it had like, he had, she had to write that down so that it would track in the volume of, you know, their whole overall plan. And 40 heels for her is less than 50% because I don't remember what she snatched. She snatched like 90, I think. She was a 48 kilo lifter or 49. Um, so like for you, like if you were in the gym, especially with my coaching style, if you wanted to take like a whole nother set of five, I'd be like, ah, oh, yeah, whatever, you know, just get the feel right. <laughs> but, uh, you know, Max is somebody that would like track everything. And, um, that worked really well, that coaching style and that accountability worked really well with Alyssa, um, with her mentality. And so it's like, um, you know, that's what she needed in her weightlifting to make her successful. Whereas if I had that same coach-athlete relationship with Max, uh, and I'm not saying that his relationship with each of his athletes is the same, but if mine was the same as Alicia, uh, Alyssa, 
it would have driven me crazy. And I would have been like, ah, fuck this. I'm not doing that. I'm not writing that down. Uh, but then again, that's, you know, it's individual differences. You know, that's just how it goes. Uh, there's nothing wrong. It's just about finding the right coach that works with you or um, or even just communicating with your coach so that they can adjust their style to fit you a little bit better. Um, and then again, that style might change. You know, you might find out later, maybe you're getting more serious or less serious in the sport. And uh, the coaching style might have to change based on that. I would say another thing to think about too as a beginner or pain versus like discomfort. Uh, some things are going to be uncomfortable. And it's not necessarily a bad thing. You're going to have to feel uncomfortable in certain situations without freaking out or getting nervous or scared. But if you start to feel like an actual pain or like an injury come up, then it's a good time to push the brakes, stop a little bit and think about it. But don't, confu- I would say don't confuse discomfort with pain. What would you, what would you say about that topic? Yeah, I mean that's uh that's the skill that uh will um make or break a a weightlifter really kind of at the top level is the ability to distinguish between pain and discomfort. Um so weightlifting, so if you want to get strong, you uh there's not a lot of shortcuts. Some people are just naturally a little bit stronger. And uh, if that's not you, I mean, there's no shortcut around it. You just have to put your, you just have to put your time in. You just have to, you just have to get strong. And it takes years and years to get strong. Um, so in order to get strong, the best bet is to not get injured and train consistently. Uh, because that's how you get strong. If you get injured and you have to take three months off, there's you know, three months is uh, depending on how aggressive your program is, is uh, you know three to 15 percent increases in strength um you know depending on where you're at so that uh three months here three months there or one month here can really add up and so really if your yearly training volume is actually only like eight months you know that's that's a significant amount that you're missing out on before you kind of get to that you know overall training age where things just naturally start slowing down so being able to train consistently, even if that means it's lighter, um, is still going to provide more volume and stimulus and strength progress than being injured and not being able to train at all. So that's a so you get the people that are like the uh, the longevity lifters. So we always like to use Chad Vaughn in this example. Is uh, so Chad was a two-time Olympian and he was very consistent uh and so like now he's running that like barbell mobility stuff and so you can really kind of see that you know those kind of influences are really um you know those are some of the things that he did as an athlete to take care of himself you know mobility stretching recovery things like that and uh he was just very aware of his body and he was able to train for a long period of time and not get injured ended up breaking an American record clean and jerk. And that held until the weight classes changed, I think. Um, cause he was 77 and he clean and jerked 190, Uh, and that's pretty good. Um, 
And so if he just kept getting injured, like that would have been his career because he needed, like he wasn't naturally that strong of a lifter. He was good at weightlifting, but he wasn't really strong. He wasn't like a, um, you know, like a, somebody at that time, like a Shane Hammond. Shane Hammond was just strong. Or uh, CJ, he uh, he is strong. Um, uh, you know, Chad uh, was not uh, not the strong one, but he was consistent and he stayed injury-free for a long period of time and it allowed him to develop uh, and allowed him the time to develop and get strong. And nobody wants to be injured too, so that's a good point. That's not fun. Yeah, because especially when you first start weightlifting, you're probably going to feel some discomfort like in your wrists and your shoulders, your knees, your hips, just because you're not used to being in those positions. So if it's a little bit of discomfort, it's all right to kind of, you know, talk to your coach about it, figure out how to, like, train through it. If it's going lighter that day, that may be the easy fix or whatever your coach recommends. But the main thing is if you start to feel any type of, like, serious discomfort, you know, like on a scale of 1 to 10, probably above, like, a 4 or 5, maybe really back off that day and figure out what's going on, try to fix it. Yeah. Yeah, and being on top of your recovery. I mean, that don't uh, don't lie to yourself. Be aware of your uh, be aware of what you're doing in your recovery and what you could be doing better. Uh, do an evaluation. You know, just write down like, what am I doing to recover? And then just next to it, what could I add to do better? You know, set them up as like uh, as process goals. You know, uh, I'm stretching. You know, have a check mark. I'm stretching after training. Check mark. I'm getting a massage once a month. Check mark. Um, you know. I'm sleeping eight hours. Yeah, I was gonna say the easy one of the easiest fixes is sleeping, believe it or not, because that's when everything's repairing and you're getting the most bang for your buck as far as getting growth hormone release and everything naturally. Yeah, and it doesn't cost money. You know, getting a massage costs money. Uh, depending on how you stretch, it could cost money, or it couldn't. Like if you're buying like a Ramwad, if that's gonna make you consistent, it'll cost you money. But uh, if that's what you need to be consistent, then that's what you need. Um, or if you can just be disciplined and just stretch and just watch YouTube videos, you could do that too. And it's free. How do you feel about, um, contrast showers? Do you have like any recommendations for those or? Yeah, I never really got into contrast showers too much just because they're uncomfortable. Um, but I do like ice baths. Uh, and so right now I'm actually building up my ice reserve in a, uh, I'm, I'm just using my like house refrigerator to uh build up the uh, you know I'm, I'm actually taking the ice from the, the front of the refrigerator and just dispensing it into a giant trash bag and then i'm taking it outside to the garage to the the deep freezer and i'm building it up because then i'm once i get enough you know i could probably go out there now because it's pretty much freezing and just leave the water out overnight and it would be cold enough you know what that's what i should do instead of and i'll just save all this ice for uh for the summertime when that comes around but yeah i like that a lot uh i could feel a big difference and that's the big thing too is just like sometimes if it feels good to you you know even if it's like scientifically not backed up you got a little bit of placebo effect if contrast showers feel good to you and you feel like you're you know getting better you know that's a that's a benefit um so yeah i think that i mean there is some some science to contrast showers. I think that has to be like 50 degrees as far as like the coldest. Uh, I, I wonder if the contrast shower gets down to 50. 
Yeah, I was gonna say, how long do you typically run like hot code, like three minutes hot, one minute cold, or? Yeah, so I haven't. Uh, when I was at the Olympic Training Center, they had a hot cold contrast, um, like baths right next to each other, um, and they're uh, like it was like, like a large, like a super large jacuzzi type ice bath right next to a super large jacuzzi like hot bath uh and i think i would when i did that contrast i think i would just do a minute um a minute on each and i would just go back and forth and the hot probably uh stayed a little bit longer because it was hard to get out of the hot and go back into the cold but uh, i think that's what we were doing there because they had like little recommendations based on what the science had uh what the science was at the top at the time and they were pretty much like hot alone doesn't really do anything it can mildly help you get warmed up before a training session but just hot alone doesn't do much um but the hot cold contrast does and the uh cold uh you know just the straight up ice bath does yeah so i like to tell my athletes that the main priority is sleep and then nutrition and then you can start thinking about the things like ice baths and contrast showers and all the other stretching and stuff is recovery aspects. Because if you're not getting that good sleep or the good nutrition, it doesn't really matter in the long run anyway, truthfully. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Um, yeah, I, I think that's something that I've been getting on more. Probably because you've been bringing it up and you got the, you got like some sleep trackers and stuff. Just how important sleep is. You know, the it's the basic things of recovery that make the big difference. Stretching and sleep and uh and eat eating, you know, eat eat meat. You know, Glenn was big about that. Well, if you want to get strong, you gotta eat red meat, you know. Um that was his uh that was his big thing. He was also big on, you know, smoking food and brisket and all that stuff. So red meat was uh will make you strong. So to uh, to recap, if you're a beginner, what uh, what are what are our number one thing? Position. Position, and then uh, number two was uh, mobility. Mobility. And then training environment. Yep. So those are the top three things that you should focus on, um, and kind of overall the broad over that the umbrella to all of those three is a coach. Um, if you can get a coach. Uh, that would be the big thing. Um, so that's actually how I started out in my uh, in my weightlifting. You know, my my goal was I want to make nationals, and then uh, I actually made the total for nationals, and I was like, okay, well, I actually want to pursue this. You know, goal number one is uh, I was training on powerlifting bars, so my goal number one was get a barbell, and then uh, goal number two was get training partners, and then uh, goal number three for me, which I see now is it was in the wrong order was to get a coach. Uh, and it wasn't until I got a coach, it happened to be Glenn, that I also got good training partners and nice bars because he was making weightlifting bars at the time. Uh, so it kind of worked out real well. And then that's when I really kind of excelled. So, yeah, that umbrella has got to be coach first. You know, get to find a coach and they'll steer you in the right direction. Yeah, a good way to find a coach, too, is um, if you just get on Google and Google you saw a coach near me, they have a coach directory on their website, and you can just put in your zip code, and it'll pop up with a list of coaches. So if you don't know where to find a coach or if you're not sure if there's any Olympic weightlifting gyms near you, you can always just use the USAW website. It'll help you locate them. Yeah, yeah, that's a good way to do it. Uh, I know a good way, too. You could uh, you could email us <laughs> at houseofweightlifting at gmail.com. 
and uh, and we can help you out. So uh, we are uh, we are accepting clients. So if you want to, if you want some help with coaching, uh, if you're around the Charlotte or Fort Mill area, Indian land, for like in-person coaching um, and then remote coaching, you know wherever you're at, we can uh, we can help you out there. Um, but if you do have the opportunity, you know I don't I don't want to dissuade you from training with us. But if you have the opportunity to train, like let's say you really want to pursue weightlifting and you want to get good, and you're in D.C. and Kara Heads Gym is right next to you, eh, you might want to go see Kara Heads. You know, you know they uh, get that training environment of somebody right next to you. That that would go further. Um, than you would think go and just give it a try see if things are the right fit and there's some good training uh there's some good weightlifting gyms and teams all kind of all around the country so if you can get in there and kind of train with some people and get that atmosphere that uh that'll go far so i think that's all i got for uh for today you know that's uh, i think that's a lot of good advice for a beginner um and you know, maybe, uh, maybe, ju- uh, so jujitsu is like the sport that I'm going to as a beginner to kind of change my perspective and to get a little bit of GPP by doing jujitsu. Maybe weightlifting is the sport that's going to act as GPP or performance for you with your main goals, whether that's, uh, you know, whether that's jujitsu, um, football, you know, they get a lot of people in football that should learn correct weightlifting to kind of help develop them there. Uh, volleyball, you know, kind of anything, whatever your other sport is, um, uh, maybe even bodybuilding, you know, coming in and doing some, some weightlifting to kind of activate some more fast twitch fibers and just kind of spur some new growth. Uh, weightlifting could be the GPP for your main sport and you might enjoy it. Um, so change your perspective, try something new out, get some, uh, get some beginner gains because, uh, they are, uh, they're always faster when you're a beginner. So take advantage of it. Um, and that's pretty much what GPP is, is, you know, getting yourself generally physically prepared and just taking the, it's like the 80-20%. You're getting a lot of benefit just out of a little bit of a work. All right. So I think that's all I got. Um, George, where can people find you? At George81KG on Instagram or at the House of Weightlifting Instagram page as well. Yep, that's a good spot. Uh, and on Instagram, I'm uh, James Tatum USA and at House of Weightlifting. And we're on some of the other social media platforms. But, uh, you know, feel free to reach out if you've got any questions or anything like that. Um, you can check us out at houseofweightlifting.com. I actually just put up some new apparel on there. Um, and it's funny, you go on there, and uh, I, I put on a trucker hat, and I just said, any any size, anything, and they, like, auto-generate um, pictures for it. So on my website, I now have a pink trucker hat, you know, as, like, the main image for this trucker hat with the House of Weightlifting logo, and it looks terrible. Um, but if you go on there and you click on it, you could pick a different color. So you go on uh, houseofweightlifting.com. And then on the shop, and then uh, go check out that trucker hat, and maybe uh, maybe change it to like a black and white or something uh, instead of that pink, and it looks a lot better. But uh, you can go on there and check that out, and let me know what you guys think. Cool, I appreciate it. We'll talk to you guys next week. <laughs>